0: Saturday, CNBC is your ticket to the annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting. Watch live on air or stream all the action at CNBC.com. Warren Buffett meets with shareholders, plus their questions, his answers. Becky Quick and Mike Santoli with full coverage from Omaha. Then re-rack the energy with highlights Monday morning starting on Squawk Box. The annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting, live on air and online, starts 930 Eastern, Saturday, CNBC.
1: Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies.
2: Welcome to Friday and Options Action after another April sell-off. I'm Melissa Lee, joined by Carter Worth, Mike co, and Tony Zhang. Catching you up today, the Dow dropping more than 900 points, and the S&P and Nasdaq both lost 4%, the Nasdaq closing out its worst monthly performance since October 2008. That was the depths of the great financial crisis. And the S&P 500 posted its worst month since the onset of the pandemic. Though this week's volatility was led by the tech sector's earnings reports, we still have another big week of results on tap. Lots of consumer-related names, healthcare stocks that are facing facing the same macro headwinds that impacted the markets this week. So, Carter, what are you seeing at this point?
1: Right. Well, the pressure is on, right? Uh, And uh, very few things are immune. What I thought we'd look at today is a stock we have not done in quite some time uh, and also a big stock. We're going to look at CVS to kick off. It's it's the crossroads of both offense and defense. We know it's a store, right? Uh, Drugstores and other goods they sell all over the country. And yet it's defensive because it is in the healthcare sector. But the truth is it's underperforming its sector, uh, other areas of the market, and it looks as though it's got downside risk going into earnings. So the first chart, and you see it here on the screen, this is a relative chart. It's just simply dividing the stock by an aggregate. In this case, the XLV, the iShares Healthcare ETF. And if the line is rising, it means the stock is outperforming. If it's declining, it's underperforming. And what it's been doing, of course, it's been underperforming all year. This is CVS relative to XLV. Look at the next uh, iteration, this is CVS versus XLP. Now this is the iShares Consumer Staples ETF. Many would consider this that kind of thing as well. Walmart, for instance, is a staple stock. And here too, look at the shocking underperformance, straight down relative. Now look at some absolute charts. So here's the CVS chart in and of itself. It is a mathematically perfect 45 degree angle. You can see the parallel lines, it's a channel and Today, we undercut the lower band. That's never good. That's not a good setup, especially when your relative performance to others in your uh, sector is especially poor. So let's pull this back a little further. Now, this is a longer-dated chart going back a decade. And what's interesting is where this stall is occurring. We almost got back to those highs of 2014, and now we're starting to roll. So pull back a little further. Here's the next chart. Is it a double top? Uh, I think it is. And then the all data chart going back uh, even further. This is back 20, uh, 30 years. Buy, sell, hold, earnings coming up. I'm a seller.
2: All right. Carter made it very clear, Mike, what's a trade?
3: You know, it's interesting. We just heard Tim and Bonwin talking about Walgreens, Boots and CVS respectively. And one of the things that Bonwin said was that uh, for CVS, you know, they have uh, inelastic demand. And just as a reminder, what that means is as the price of the goods rise and fall demand for them does not. And what I would observe is that it seems like the stock has inelastic demand. Because if we looked at it from a fundamental perspective, it looks awfully cheap. It's trading at less than 12 times full year earnings, probably about 11.6. It's probably going to grow EPS, or at least the street thinks it will, at 8% year-on-year at the uh, year-end 2023. So, when you look at it from that perspective, you would have to think this thing is a buy. And yet it underperformed the s and p today. So this is a stock that typically moves about five percent on earnings. And interestingly, when I was looking at the june ninety five eighty five put spread, that cost about two and a half bucks, about two and a half percent of the current stock price and would be profitable if it made that five percent or so implied move to the downside. You know, I'm with Carter here. This this market doesn't feel particularly good. And even though implied volatility in a couple places is slightly elevated, and sometimes that's a suggestion that you should either be selling premium, and sometimes it's a suggestion that you should be, should be buying the market. Look, the VIX closed above 30. That was a level that I was looking for a week ago. Um, I don't necessarily think this is the time to start uh, looking for value opportunities. Uh, so I think it puts spreads away to go into earnings.
2: Tony, what's your take on the trade? Yeah, so I, I agree. If you look at the chart itself,
4: you know, this is a stock that has largely consolidated above 100 since mid-December. And just today, you've seen that break below that level, as Carter is referring to, break below that channel. And when you couple that with poor relative performance to its sector, that really gives you a good indication as to potentially what could you what could happen on earnings. And then if you look at the fundamentals here, Wal, uh, uh, Wal- Walgreens recently just um, reported, uh, based on uh, a few, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and what we saw here was that. COVID-related revenues is really what they're expecting uh, is going to be softer going into the second half of this year and into next year. This is really what's carried these two stocks quite a bit as um, over the past couple of years, as these are stocks that really hasn't gone, gone anywhere prior to the pandemic. So when you think about that softness that we're expecting from COVID-related re- revenues going into next year, and then you still consider the valuations that Mike was referring to trading at 12 times earnings while relatively inexpensive, is still in the middle of the range for this particular stock historically, the low end of the range for CVS is closer to seven times earnings. So you really have quite a bit of room here to the downside from a value perspective. So for those reasons, I think there's still potentially quite a bit of downside, especially if you see softer guidance going into the second half of this year. And I think that's what we're going to see here from CVS. So if you look at the trade structure that Mike's using here, the put debit spread, He's choosing a debit spread that's pretty, uh, quite a bit out of the money. But by doing so, he's only risking 2.5% of the stock's value. And he's only paying about a quarter of the $10 width of the debit spread. That gives him a 3 to 1 risk-to-reward ratio if CVS gets back down to the $85, which is roughly the breakout level from which CVS broke out above before it consolidated into that $100 range that I was referencing at the very beginning. So I think the price target here makes a lot of sense. A low risk, high payoff uh, reward into uh, earnings for CVS.
2: Carter, how does Walgreens stack up compared to the CVS chart?
1: Well, it looks terrible. I mean, worse. Worse? <laughs>
2: yeah. Wow. <laughs> More, even more clearly a sell, I guess. All right, continuing our theme of seeing through the volatility, sometimes it's best to let all uncertainty get out of the way before you proceed, such is the case with Tony's next defensive play, which a little differently for us, already reported earnings. So, Tony, what else are you seeing in T-Mobile?
4: Yeah, given this week's volatility, I think there's a lot of interest, if you will, in finding some level of safety. And by looking at a name like T-Mobile, which is generally speaking a more defensive name, and the fact that it's reported earnings and the stock is down almost 7% here today, I think this is really an opportunity to potentially take advantage of some of this weakness, sell some volatility, and potentially, uh, again, find a little bit of safety in defense. So if we take a look at a a chart here of T-Mobile, what you see here, is a is an up channel and what we're seeing here is a, a trade down to the bottom of the channel and i'm simply looking for a bounce higher but i think what's more important than the chart here of t-mobile is the chart relative to its sector the communication sector xlc and what we're seeing here is that t-mobile is actually breaking out to new hot highs here relative to its sector. And I think this is really explained by if you look at the fundamentals between T-Mobile and the two major uh, competitors Verizon and T and AT&T, you're seeing T-Mobile add roughly triple the number of subscribers each quarter relative to those two other names. And this is really what's driving the outperformance of this particular stock. It's why it's why it trades at a higher valuation because it has that higher growth uh, number while maintaining profit margins that are equal if not better than the other two competitors. So for those reasons, I'm trying to take advantage of a name that currently has elevated implied volatility but is also in a fairly orderly uptrend. And one of the ways that I'm trying to take advantage of this is trading an iron condor. And I'm specifically choosing strike prices that gets me to basically the upper end of that channel while taking advantage of the elevated implied volatility here. So I'm going out to the June 3rd expiration and I'm selling a 118, 124, 133, 139 iron condor. Here I'm collecting about $3.17 on a $6 wide iron condor. So I'm collecting a little bit more than one half of the width or the total risk that I'm taking on this particular trade. And I've, I've chosen my strike prices where the bottom two strikes are very close to the current price and the upper two strikes are near the top end of the channel, basically expecting that the stock bounces off this channel towards the top end and but stays within that particular channel. And given the type of name that we're referring to, a telecom name, uh, I think without a catalyst on the horizon, this is a safe way to take uh, advantage of the elevated volatility here in the market.
2: Mike, do you like this trade? Hmm. Uh,
3: you know, I, I, this isn't a, a market where I'm really interested in selling a lot of close strikes uh, to what these stocks are doing. Now, this thing's moved 10 bucks just within the last 36 hours. And uh, I, I think this the lower strike that we're looking at here, 124, is already in the money. It wouldn't take anything really for this thing to get below that 118 uh, strike price. Now, this, the trade structure, I, I don't take issue with, with selling iron condors generally and the distance that he's collecting between the strikes is is reasonable. The stock can only be higher or it can be lower um, at expiration. And so that's one of the reasons why, why trades like this can make some sense. But in a market like this, the chance that it is considerably lower or higher is actually quite great. It's one of the reasons why it can be a little bit deceptive when you just start chasing elevated premiums to sell, you ought to pay attention to the market you're in as well. Oftentimes, those elevated premiums are justified.
2: Tony, just quickly, do you want to address uh, Mike's concern that m- maybe you don't even need any catalyst for the for this stock to swing um, to those strike prices?
4: And he's and he's right. You know, today the stock's down seven percent. There's no particular catalyst other than the market, but that really, again, is. The reason why I'm taking this particular strategy, we tend to find that after big outsized moves in stocks like this, that's really when we tend to see a a period of relative calm. And and that's when I'm using this iron condor. I'm using a relatively short dated one, only 30 days out. I'm only holding on to this trade for maybe 15 or or roughly half that amount of time. So I'm really just looking for a little bit of calm here for the next couple of weeks, and I'll be probably uh, taking this trade off.
2: All right, still to come. When Exxon buys back two billion dollars in stock in one earnings period, that should tell you something. Professor Co will explain how to trade that. For everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cbc.com. While you are there, sign up for our newsletter. We will be back in two.
0: Saturday, CNBC is your ticket to the annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting. Watch live on air or stream all the action at CNBC.com. Warren Buffett meets with shareholders, plus their questions, his answers. Becky Quick and Mike Santoli with full coverage from Omaha. Then re-rack the energy with highlights Monday morning starting on Squawk Box. The annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting, live on air and online, starts 9.30 Eastern, Saturday, CNBC.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. In its earnings announcement this morning, Exxon slipped in that it's on track to buy back $30 billion in stock through 2023. So, Carter, what does that signal uh, to you about the overall energy sector?
1: Well, I mean, if you think about it as an operating business, is that good or bad? I mean, usually I would say that's bad. Consider this, that Exxon and, and Chevron, the two big ones, are going to give more cash to shareholders and they will invest in oil and gas production this year. $50 billion between stock buybacks and dividends versus $37 billion in um, uh, capital expenditure. I don't think that's a good business model, but I'm not an energy man. Let's look at the charts. So what do we know? We know we have a trend and we have a break in trend. There's sort of no way around that. At one point, uh, the XLE, this is the ETF, was up 50%. We broke trend hard. We rallied back. And today, we kind of hit our head at the underside of that line. Now, if we look at a longer-term chart, uh, we saw this sequence uh, over the past two years. In 2020, we had a big uptrend. And we had a break in trend. We consolidated went again. And I think this is just yet the second break in trend. Um, I'm a seller, not a buyer. Two long-term charts. So this is a weekly chart. The next one, we got right back to the highs of 2017, couldn't quite get above a little bit, a week or two, and now faltering. And so final chart, draw the lines how you will. I would call this a pretty well-defined double top.
2: All right. So, Mike, what's the trade here on energy?
3: Yeah, you know, so this is uh, interesting because if we take a look at the sector, and, you know, if we're looking at XLE, for example, which is the ETF proxy we use most commonly when we're thinking about the energy sector, I mean, this is really integrated oils, isn't it? I mean, the two biggest constituents are almost half of it. And then you can add in Conoco, which is essentially another integrated. If you take a look at these companies, they they do look cheap. So you know I would consider that to be uh, a positive. And if you compare those companies to their European counterparts, you know like Total and so on, um, you know they are getting better returns on capital and they have good free cash flow at this point. And Exxon's announcement that they're doing these massive share repurchases are an example of how they intend to deploy that free cash flow. But I think there's still considerable pressure on the sector overall. So there's some bad news in here, too. For example, and everybody is aware of this, uh, ESG activism and regulatory pressure, this is not the best environment for them uh, overall. Even when they did start to make some money, we immediately have some people in Washington coming out and you know suggesting that they're gouging and sort of coming after them. And this is after they had massive losses the prior year. Uh, Exxon, in particular, is—you know—they've reduced their investment in production. And Carter was alluding to that, and their production is declining. So you need to make some investment in your business, uh, and if you're not doing that, a good question would be why. And if you take it, a look at even the bulls' upside price targets um, for the space, they're fairly modest. Uh, if you're looking at Exxon, I think the average analyst price targets just under 94 bucks a share. of The stock was just over 86. That's not a whole heck of a lot of upside, and that's from the optimists. Uh, so, and I will add one other thing, uh, and that is that, you know personally, I have uh, paired back my positions uh, in the space uh, a bit. So I think one of the things you could do is look at a put calendar. We have an inverted uh, implied volatility term structure. What that means is the near-dated options have much higher implied volatilities than the longer ones. I want to take advantage of that. I was looking at selling the May 75 puts, buying the August 75 puts. Uh, And when I was looking at that, it was about two and a quarter that you'd collect on the mays, pay about five and a half on the auggies, and that would get you about three and a quarter um, in net spend essentially to put that trade on. And I think this actually has a fairly wide uh, band. Now, obviously, when you put a straight calendar on, if the stock goes down very, very sharply, uh, you can actually get the trade wrong. But I think that would require a pretty big move to the downside, and I'm not expecting that simply because. Uh, oil prices still remain a little bit elevated. And I think that creates the near-term support. But, you know, after May expiration, you're going to own that
4: longer day to put and you could do more things with it.
2: Hmm. Tony, what's your take?
4: Yeah, so if you look at the uh, the energy sector relative to the S&P, it's been a full two months since there's, it's made no progress relative to the market. That certainly is concerning. And then if we go back all the way to 2008, which is the last time energy has outperformed the overall market, since that time... The last year and a half, this has been the longest and the biggest outperformance of energy relative to the market. So I'm not exactly sure that this two-month pause is necessarily the end to that outperformance here. Um, and you do have to consider the fact that, as Carter was referring to, the two largest names, Exxon and Chevron, make up 43% of this ETF. So it's really those two names in the driver's seat. And if you look at the, the fundamentals of those particular companies, Mike refers to the good and the bad. I think the good, I completely agree with him. The bad, I don't think it's actually that bad, and if you think about the underinvestment that's really the what, what drives the potential catalyst of, of lower supply that can drive oil prices to significantly higher on some type of catalyst. So for those reasons, I'm not as bearish here on, on energy stocks, at least at the moment. But if you look at the trade structure that Mike's using, the put vertical spread, the choice of strikes that he's using, the $75 strike, which is effectively the at-the-money strike, means that this is really a neutral play between now and the first expiration of May. It's a relatively short dated play. It's only about three weeks out, but it's a completely neutral play. So if Exxon, uh, I'm sorry, if energy stocks just basically stay where this is, this this strategy is profitable, and he's able to collect almost half of the premium of the August seventy five dollar puts that he's purchasing here. So he's collecting a fair amount of premium, and I would reevaluate whether I'm. Uh, taking a more bearish view here in about three weeks' time or so. So in the meantime, I think this is a great way to play this pause, as, as Carter was referring to here in Energy stocks.
2: All right, we want to stick with the energy space. And, uh, Mike, we want to do a little early look back. You laid out a Halliburton trade earlier this month. There's still some time on this one. But what do you do now, Mike?
3: Yeah, so uh, I, I tweeted out a little over a week ago that I had started to reduce my own Halliburton position, which is something I talked about when I discussed this trade because I was long the stock and had options on around it. I cut about half of that position two weeks ago. I actually closed out the last of it today. And for those who have been watching the show or even, you know, seen us uh, talking at various conferences over the years, I've, I've had that on for a couple of years. So. Uh, I I think it's in much the same way that I'm hitting the pause button with this XLE uh, put calendar. Uh, I think you can do the same in Halliburton
2: as well. All right. Up next, we are primed and ready to look back on one of Tony's trades from last week. More options action right after this. Welcome back to options action. Last week, Tony laid out a way to play Amazon ahead of earnings.
4: This is a chart that Carter has spoken to quite a bit over the past few quarters. You have a stock that has outperformed the broader markets for a vast amount of time before over the past two years, really going absolutely nowhere from an absolute basis. But the most important thing for me is really those relative charts, the underperformance relative to the market and its sector is telling for where it's going to trade. I'm going out to the May expiration, and I'm choosing a 28.85, 28.55 put vertical here, spending about $11.80 for this vertical spread.
2: Shares of Amazon sinking 15% after yesterday's disappointing results. So that trade is well in the green. Tony, what are you doing now?
4: Yeah. So for a vertical spread like this, where we're well below the the lower strike price, you're trading near the max gain on this particular trade. Whether you took the exact strikes that I used or you adjusted it lower based on Monday's open, either way, you probably are near that max gain. It's time to take profits and move on to the next trade.
2: Um, Carter, just curious, and I asked you this uh, during Fast Money, but I'll ask for the benefit of the OA viewers as well. When does Amazon become so bad it's good?
1: Right. So uh, there's both uh, magnitude and duration to that sort of concept, and uh, at least as I learned it. And so we have, to some extent, magnitude, but it's it's just fresh off a gap and drop. Uh, it's never good to buy into the first day of a sort of uh, dislocation, if you will. We don't have price discovery yet. We just had the facts, the earnings. Uh, let it stand aside.
2: All right. Up next, your tweets and the final call. had a tweet. Our first viewer asks, followed Mike into the QQQ vertical put spread after Friday's excellent show. If we are in a solid decline, would you ever close one leg of the spread to boost profit knowing the potential risks? Mike.
3: Yeah, I think I wouldn't close one leg, but you can consider rolling. You can roll down and out, straight down, or even if ball has gotten too steep, you can roll down and in.
2: All right. Final call time, Carter.
1: CBS acts poorly going into earnings. If you're long, we'd take measures. If you're a short seller, we'd hit it.
2: Tony.
4: Play for a bounce here in T-Mobile, selling an iron condor.
2: Mike Co.
3: Put spreads in CBS going into earnings.
2: All right, that does it for us here at Options Action. See you next Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
0: Saturday, CNBC is your ticket to the annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting. Watch live on air or stream all the action at CNBC.com. Warren Buffett meets with shareholders, plus their questions, his answers. Becky Quick and Mike Santoli with full coverage from Omaha. Then re-rack the energy with highlights Monday morning starting on Squawk Box. The annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting, live on air and online, starts 930 Eastern, Saturday, CNBC.